Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years you know what satisfied me, not just today, but has sustained me since Monday night, Andy Barons. Ooh, what's that? Joe Flippin' Flacco. <laughs> yes. QB 15 oh, sure. passing for three touchdowns, bringing all of that Delawarean energy, if you know what I'm saying, up for Monday night football as someone who has uh, Dak Prescott and Baker Mayfield in my Scott Fishbowl, I was in a bit of a conundrum, and my goodness, did the blue hen fly for me. Oh, my gosh. You actually started him in that game? Yeah. That's, oh, man. I had like, to, I, and I won. Yeah. I don't, like, I don't know how you'll finish in the league, but that... Like it, it just sort of pays for itself when you when you when you pull off a thing like that when you have the the most random stray possible that actually that actually pays off. That's amazing. That's incredible. It felt pretty good. It felt pretty good. I was I was I was praying for the Brashad Perryman payoff to drag Flacco into production, and it worked. So I feel that's like I feel I- like I was the only person who started Chase Claypool in like the the absolute blow up four touchdown. It was a total desperation start. It wasn't even like yeah. me being crafty or anything like that. It was like the last guy available who seemed even remotely playable um, on a terrible team. But e- even though that team isn't going to make the playoffs in that league, I will have the satisfaction of having actually started Chase Claypool when he went off. It is it is a wonderful feeling. And in same thing, I don't know in like the enormity of the tournament that is the Scott Fishbowl, where I'll land. But I'm in third place in my little popples division. So, you know, that that, I'm just taking it step by step. You know, that's all we can do. Let's talk about this is going to be a fun episode. Double digits, Mr. Barons. We are here for it. This is going to be a fun episode. If you don't want to have fun, then you can turn off the whatever you're listening to this on now. Because it's going to be a fun episode. We're in double digits Despite the fact that the early games that we're going to talk about are not particularly exciting, we're going to, like Joe Flacco, overperform on entertainment value right here. (laughs) We're starting with Tampa Bay at Carolina. I know, no Christian McCaffrey after coming back. He's got a shoulder issue. He just got a second opinion, however, and it isn't impossible for him to see the field in week 11, but we got to get our Mike Davis on again. Mike Davis, obviously, Performed admirably in CMC's stead, uh, only dipped below double-digit carries, I believe, one time, with the exception, obviously, of last week when 
Christian McCaffrey returned. How are you feeling about Mike Davis? However, Andy, given this matchup, it's a really tough spot. I, I think that uh, I think that McCaffrey might be the only running back. Maybe he didn't even do it um, to rush for over sixty yards against Tampa. Like nobody rushes for anything against Tampa. In fact, pretty sure that was a that was a total yardage day for McCaffrey. Like literally. The Panthers running backs are the only people that have really had good days. So that, like, like, that's promising. The Panthers did it once, but absolutely nobody else on the ground has done a thing against Tampa. They're number one um, in rush defense overall. They only give up 3.3 yards per carry. Um, so it's been a brutal matchup. And obviously they were just humiliated in a, in a primetime spot a week ago. So they have to be looking at this as an opportunity to, to, I mean, whatever you're professionals, you should always best effort and all that. But man, they were just absolutely embarrassed by the saints. Like they looked like, I don't know, the 45th best football team in the world uh, a week ago. So they've, so they've got a lot that that has to get right. It feels like Teddy Bridgewater is going to have to throw the ball here and his yeah. receivers are going to have to continue to perform. They might get a break, however, though, because Tampa Bay cornerback Carlton Davis, who, by the way, has the second most pass breakups on the season, is dealing with a knee issue. He is uncertain for Sunday's action. If Davis, so watch the practice and injury reports, if Davis were to miss time, then I'm feeling a little bit better about the Panthers receiving core. Yeah, I have a I have a league in which I have to start Teddy. It's not even it's not even good process here. Like I don't think it's a great matchup. Tampa's been until last week um, good against the well good against the pass as well. Um, yeah. But I do, but I do agree that it, it could potentially be a, a huge volume game for Teddy, and that is also the thing that can save Mike Davis. Right? If Mike Davis gets eight nine targets in this one, because remember the last time they faced Tampa, that was like the eight catch game for Mike Davis, and and we all got we, we all became familiarized with the fact that he was in fact McCaffrey. <laughs> backup right and then he became a thing for a little while um so there is some potential receiving volume for him and like teddy might have to throw the ball 45 times which which should save a fantasy day for almost anyone maybe we're burying the lead a little bit here but we have to talk about antonio brown when we're talking about the bucks offense now ahead of last week's debut for ab on ffl we did an over-under on number of receptions. I believe the line was set at four and a half. I believe almost everybody went over on that line. Uh, that didn't happen. Three of five targets is what he ended up converting for just 31 yards. As you mentioned, this whole Tampa Bay squad was embarrassed on prime time. Do you think, though, that this is an opportunity to buy low on Antonio Brown, especially considering the lack of consistent health we've seen out of the Bucks receivers. Yeah, I think it I think it kind of is. That's a good way to frame it. Um it, like if you're if you're worried at all, he he played almost every snap. He played he played 78% of the snaps for that team. Like the real takeaway in that receiving core is that like Scotty Miller's not a thing anymore unless somebody gets hurt cuz he he barely played. He was barely on the field. 19 snaps. Um Tyler Johnson hardly played. Like it was AB Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. That was it. That's who started, that's who saw the targets. It's probably a bit of a killer for like we've been worrying about Mike Evans because he's been entirely touchdown dependent, right? He's on pace for some ridiculous reception total like but 60 barely over 60 something like that. It's like it's bad for him, but Antonio Brown is clearly going to be on the field all of the time and is going to eventually. I mean, Brady was awful. I don't I don't know a better way to say it. Like even Bruce Arians kind of sort of hinted at it. 
Brady threw one of the worst balls that you'll ever see a professional quarterback throw, right? Like, I mean, it was just it was a terrible week for him. Um, and it it makes I mean, New Orleans hasn't even been good against the pass all year, and all of a sudden they they just absolutely shamed Brady. So he obviously has to get better. This is a better matchup. Um, but I think it was a relatively good sign that Antonio Brown barely came off the field. And how are you treating Leonard Fournette? Because obviously, you know, game script dictated that neither Ronald Jones nor Fournette was going to was going to log very many totes at all. I think, in fact, both of them had like what, just four carries. But yeah, Leonard Fournette was 2020 heavily featured in the passing game. And he was the opposite of Leonard Fournette in that he was efficient because he caught all six of his looks for 41 yards. So in this offense, I feel like we've talked many times about how Bruce Aarons is like, look, we got a window. The window is super skinny. We are going to stockpile all of the available bodies, regardless of age, brand name, et cetera. We're just stockpiling for an opportunity at a postseason run. And yeah. Fournette could overlap a little bit with, I feel like, you know, A.B. or Chris Godwin here. Yeah, just when we thought that Fournette had clearly leapfrogged um, mm. Ronald Jones, like they they were trying to lean on Ronald Jones early. Like they were they were running the ball with Jones and he looked fine. And so it's not as it's not as clear as we would all like it to be right. Like we would all just like this thing to, to settle on one guy. And it, it seemed pretty clear that as long as they had positive game script, Ronald Jones was going to be a huge part of it. Jones had some issues the week before, right? He, he has drop issues. He has ball security issues. And anytime that happens, we can expect Leonard Fournette to entire take over apparently but other than that we have to expect Leonard Fournette to be like the you know two-minute offense guy obvious passing situation guy but uh, apparently they are going to try to ride Ronald Jones at the start of every game and against Carolina that might work let's move along to the Texans game we've got Houston at Cleveland biggest news in this matchup is obviously David Johnson who was concussed last week he's still in the protocol he's questionable for Sunday this could very well mean that Duke Johnson, I mean, first of all, how perfect is it that this game of all games against his former team in this particular yeah. upside down year is when we get the Duke Johnson game? I mean, I went back and did a little bit of research and he's on my deep sleepers list for this week. Uh, in week 13 of his rookie season, which was 2015, was the last time he recorded more than 10 carries. And last week, in relief <laughs> of David Johnson, he logged 16. So he had a career high, six, a career high 16 in 2020. I just, I, I'm the, the numbers don't lie. Like a career high 16 rushing attempts. Ironically, in that rookie year, 2015, of the three games that the Browns actually won, <laughs> Duke Johnson managed double-digit carries. Uh, of the two <laughs> of the three games, of the two of the three games that the Browns actually won that entire season, Duke Johnson was featured with double-digit carries. So I don't know. Is this the opportunity? We know that we've seen him, at least in Miami, look to have a three-down skill set. There's all that talk, right? He entered as like a a space back, and then he put on the weight in college, and he looked yeah. like he could do it. And a lot of... Uh, a lot of, of fans, scouts, etc., draft Knicks have been waiting for him to break out. And inexplicably, two different franchises, maybe they know something we don't, have been resistant to utilizing him in such a way. Yeah. So David Johnson, first of all, just took a took a huge hit last yeah. week. hasn't hasn't practiced through Thursday. So you know, this is, a, is an early Sunday game. There's at least a decent chance that he that he doesn't play. I I think Duke Johnson at this stage 
is basically a one-for-one replacement for David Johnson. I don't think this is one of those situations where we worry about, ooh, is he is he 75% as good? Is he 80% as good? Like Duke Johnson has a has a, is a highly skilled receiver, good at, at sort of finding spaces and creating lanes for the quarterback to throw the football. Like he's fine as a as a running back too. I don't I, like I he's not a highlight machine, but neither is David Johnson at this stage of their career. Um, he converted a, a short yardage touchdown last week. I mean, I think Duke Johnson can do everything that David Johnson could do at this point. Like they're just like a it's just an absolutely perfect replacement piece. Um, so it's not a terrible matchup. Like Cleveland's been okay against the run. I think they give up like four yards per carry on the year. But it's not a total stay away matchup. And if Duke Johnson is in line for 18 to 20 touches, I mean, there's just not that many running backs who are going to see that sort of workload. So it makes him on my board pretty close to a to a top 12 running back. He's also only $16 in our daily game. So give that a look. I have to give you some kudos, Andy Burns, because we faced off uh, at a, in FFL last week, um, Brandon Cooks versus Darius Slayton. You slayed me on that one, like eviscerated me. Slayton severely underperformed while Cooks was straight money. I like Cooks again this week, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Cooks is a Cooks is a strong play. Deshaun Watson, a strong play. Like you're 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 pretty much firing up everybody um, on on really on both sides here. There's not like Cleveland's a Cleveland's a pretty frisky defense. I don't want to I don't want to speak badly of them, but they're not like a shutdown pass defense, anything like that. And and Cooks is a strong play here. I think Randall Cobb can make some noise. Um, obviously, I think Duke Johnson can make some noise. And Deshaun is is probably a top five quarterback in this one. I love that you mentioned Randall Cobb because obviously I think the point that you're alluding to is the amount of points that Cleveland gives up via the slot, which is also yeah. beneficial for Duke Johnson, who can line up as a receiver out of the slot similarly. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a great spot for him. And and Cobb was relatively quiet last week, not heavily targeted, but this is a, a much friendlier matchup. And I think like Cleveland's gonna put points on the board as well because Houston's defense is terrible. So this has a chance to be just kind of a sneaky fun game that ends up, I don't know, thirty one twenty eight, something like that. Baker's off the COVID list. So if you're talking about putting up points against the Texans, he is going to have to be here for it. He was on bye last week and will play on Sunday. Um, He's also going to be getting Nick Chubb back. We are going to be getting Nick Chubb back in the backfield. Um, It's not official necessarily, but if you're listening to this podcast on Friday, uh, Kevin Stavansky said he will know more today as in Friday. But Nick Chubb is expected to take the field on Sunday. Yeah, he's uh, he's practicing. They don't have to officially take him off the list yet, but it, it seems like he's been he's been participating in practice. And this is like this is just one of those special matchups, right? So Houston Houston ranks dead last against the run. They give up almost 160 rushing yards per week, over five yards per carry. And he's Nick Chubb. Like I think both Chubb and Hunt are in play. I guess Hunt has been a mild disappointment, while Chubb has been has been sidelined. But he's been he's been fine. Leagues where I'm starting him, I don't feel like he's absolutely crushing me. So I think they're both pretty strong plays here. To contextualize it a little bit, Nick Chubb top eight option, Kareem Hunt just outside of the top twelve, maybe in that like RB fifteen range. Yeah, I think I think that's that's almost exactly where I have him. Probably eight and fifteen right now. Okay, let us move along then to the Eagles at the Giants. Devonta Freeman is potentially back. I know Woo! Scott Pianowski <laughs> really, really like pounded the table for Wayne Gallman the last episode I recorded with him, though. So my apologies. Um, all of this is going to be cannibalized on 
The po- on a positive note, for the other backfield, Miles Sanders is on track to return. Yeah, Miles Sanders automatically installed as a as a top ten fantasy option, and and the Giants have been okay against the run too. They only give up three point seven yards per carry, but we've seen Sanders beat some some terrible matchups so far this season. Like Sanders is obviously a strong play. Good to see him. Good to see him back. Like Philly is kind of quietly getting a bunch of pieces back. I don't know if any of it'll make a difference, but they obviously have Goddard back. He was quiet. Uh, a couple weeks ago, but he, but again, he hardly ever left the field. So we expect him to, to maybe make a little noise. Maybe Alshon Jeffrey plays some limited snaps right. in this one against Sanders back. Um, so Philly is, I mean, Wentz has obviously been like real life bad and fantasy. Okay. If he can, if he can clean it up just a little bit, um, Phil, like Philly could look like a legitimate playoff team instead of an illegitimate playoff team, maybe down yeah, the stretch. I did not, I did not miss not having the Eagles to deal with last oh, week. Oh, how <laughs> I, felt, I felt exactly the same way. Yeah, like like I I saw this on the on the rundown for the show, and I was like, oh yeah, Philly Philly's back. Woo. They're, they're back. I will say that I think you know you mentioned Alshon Jeffrey coming back potentially on a limited basis, limited snap count, and Goddard being back. It is worth mentioning that back in week seven, the Giants gave up Wentz, gave up to Wentz his highest statistical output so far of the season. So I I know that everyone's down on Wentz and he had a particularly up and down game, though the second half he managed to kind of pull it together heading into his bye. But I think it is very realistic. I'm seeing Wentz on a lot of bus lists and I think we're just used to the disappointment or feeling blindsided um, by him, particularly at the top of the season. But when I'm looking at this matchup and noting that they're division rivals, right? So they're teams that have faced each other more than a few times. I think that Wentz can pass for over 300 yards. And I also think if Goddard's back in the mix, he can, he can throw two touchdowns. Yeah, this is, this is one of those situations where you really have to separate fantasy from real life, right? Because there's no question that he's been a disappointment in real life. I mean, I know they're in first place, but they're like a three, four and one team. Um, He's thrown a ton of interceptions and there's, there's clearly either regression or at least no growth here, but he went into his last game as like the fantasy QB seven on the season on a per game basis. Even right now, I think he's like the QB 11. He, uh, like there's a bunch of rushing touchdowns here. I think he's run. I, he, hasn't he run for five scores so far on the season? Like he's been fine in fantasy. He's not like he's he's a pain in real life, and it's it's painful yeah. to watch him at times. And he makes some really head scratching throws so far this year. And uh, like everything's been wrong in Philly, but he's not like he's not killing your fantasy team. The next matchup is Jacksonville at Green Bay, and Jake Luton will be making his second start for the Jaguars. Um, Andy, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm just going to say <laughs> that I don't mind it one bit. I know you and I talked about Luton and we mentioned his arm strength, right? So like while his mustache may not be as robust as Gardner Minshew's, his arm is definitely stronger than Minshew's. And this coaching staff really liked him. I mean, he had this weird kind of... He went to Idaho. I think he's from Washington State initially, so kind of weird because there's some, like, Minshew overlap there. But then uh, Idaho and some Juco ended up at Oregon State. And the scout team in Jacksonville felt like maybe he fell through the cracks a little bit. And there was a lot of excitement about his ability to push the ball deep. And, yo, on the second throw, on his second (laughs) throw of the game, he connected with Chark. For seventy three yards, a uh, seventy three yard touchdown. I, I, I'm I'm kind of excited. 
Yeah, we we mentioned a week ago, um, he was like, he was pretty clean in his final collegiate mm-hmm. season, too. It was like 28 touchdowns and only three picks. Um, we Like, I think we've clearly seen enough to feel comfortable that he can keep the Jacksonville offense on schedule. I don't know that he's going to be some great fantasy quarterback, but I think he can deliver basically the line, the same lines that you were getting from Gardner Minshew. Like, you know, a lot of his yardage came on that one. Th- I mean, it was a 300-yard game, but still 73 of it came on the one throw to Chark. But that one throw happened and Shark has four three speed and he's gonna get like he's gonna get that free occasionally. So we we just need somebody who can connect on those. Um he knew who his best receiver was, right? It was a huge target total he did for Shark. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what that's what you like to see. That's what like, you know, that that played well for for Justin Herbert when he came in and he was like, Okay, I know who my dudes are and I'm gonna throw the ball to Keenan Allen fourteen times a game, and that's what he's been doing. And like we have that possibility here with Shark now as well. So that like all we really needed to see from Luton because, you know, it's not like Gardner Minshew is is multi-time Pro Bowl or Gardner Minshew. We just needed to see that that this opera this offense could operate as it had before. And that clearly can happen. It was a good day for Robinson. It was a good day for everyone. It was good, like just good fantasy performance all around from all the key components of this team. I also think that this game, I mean, according to BetMGM, the over-under is set at 50 and a half. So this game has sneaky shootout uh, appeal here because we know that Luton's going to be chasing Aaron Rodgers, right? We know that he's going to be throwing. When we think about the the Green Bay defense, we obviously think this is going to be a James Robinson game, right? That's why he's one of the most highly priced running backs in our daily game. And that all makes sense. But also, Luton did rush in a 13-yard score. Like, he's shown an ability and a willingness, maybe not as much of an ability so much as a willingness to run. And we know that, obviously, like, rushing yards for quarterbacks are fantasy points galore. I also want to note that Luton's getting probably LaVishka Chenault back. It's not 100%, but he has a, a good chance of suiting up on Sunday. So that's a possibility. And... Green Bay's defense might still be banged up, right? We don't know if uh, Jair Alexander is going to full is going to pass the concussion protocol. It's probably going to happen, but we don't know for sure yet. And Kevin King is still dealing with a quadriceps issue. Now he could see the field, but we don't know at what level he's going to be back. So I don't think it's impossible on a week where you have no Patrick Mahomes, no Matt Ryan, and a bunch of question marks. Maybe you need a stream and you throw a dart a la Joe Flacco in week nine. Yeah, he's a fun. Yeah, you're right. He is a fun, like build an entire defense uh, DFS lineup around him, around his. I, I don't know what he's priced at in our daily game, but it's got to be like low 20s, right? Like you could you can really sketch out a uh, a, a pretty impressive lineup with uh, with Jake Luton as your quarterback. I, I was going to mention the Alexander injury. He's been he's been banged up just outside of being in the concussion protocol, too. So um, if he doesn't go, that's full green. Not that you're not going to start DJ Chark anyway, because I have the feeling that Luton is somebody who's going to target him regardless of the coverage situation, right? Because that's what we see a lot of sort of sketchy quarterback, especially young quarterbacks do. I, I won't be surprised by that at all, but but that would be a huge win, obviously. Alexander's been like PFF's highest graded corner on the season so far, so that would be a huge loss for that team. And then just on the other side, probably don't even need to tell people this, but Jacksonville's defense has been has been awful at everything. They're the sixth most generous run D, the fifth worst pass D. They give up eight and a half yards per attempt. So it's like, like Green Bay can... I don't know, Aaron, Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers can both go off in this game. It's a, g- a great setup, both for the pass game and the run. It's also worth mentioning that Jamal Williams has been activated off of the COVID list. So now this backfield looks similar, resembles what it did uh, at the top of the season. Yep. And not that, I, not that as you mentioned, the Jags defense, uh, Green Bay potentially needs it, but um, 
Green Bay's left tackle, David Bakhtiari, is back as well. So we figure uh, that Green Bay should be firing on all cylinders. Let's talk about the Washington football team at the Detroit Lions. Uh, Alex Smith is the team's new starting quarterback. Just a pause. (laughs) (laughs) That's just a fact. It is also, okay, so Alex Smith is back. Kyle Allen obviously had that really gruesome ankle injury. I think there's a moment that we need to think about what Alex Smith does best, and that is checking down. And if we're going to follow that route, we also note that J.D. McKissick had 14 targets last week. And now we think about the running back position in PPR-friendly leads particularly, and J.D. McKissick is maybe a low-end RB2. Oh, I think that's definitely true. So, that, like, it, it's a perfect combination of of the uh, the stylistic approach of Alex mm-hmm. Smith and the matchup, obviously. Detroit has allowed the most fantasy points to opposing running backs. They've given up the most receiving touchdowns to running backs on the season. They give up almost five yards per carry. So, weird, weird snap counts, too, for the Washington backfield last week. Uh, 83% of the snaps played by J.D. McKissick. Um, Antonio Gibson, good as he is, has now played less than 50% of the snaps in four of his last five games. Probably still going to get plenty of carries. Obviously, the best way to attack Detroit has been on the ground. I mean, you can get to him through the air as well. But uh, this is a very long way of saying that I that I, I agree wholeheartedly with McKissick. And like, he's just not going away. Like, I, I think we've reached the point in the season where we can assume that, you know, as as much as the fantasy community may want to see Antonio Gibson just take this whole thing over, it, it just looks the same week after week after week, right? <laughs> McKissick is on yep. the field more. McKissick is a great receiving option, obviously has a connection with Smith. And Smith is obviously very, as you say, he's very check down prone. He's, he's And they have to Bro, be like. He doesn't want to get hit right now. Are you kidding yes, me? Yes, right. Like, Right. Oh, just say the thing. Nobody. No, he does not want to get trucked at all right. right now. And you cannot blame him. And he had to he had to watch what happened to Kyle Allen. Like, yeah. no, thank you. Also, I love the point that you're making about I'm, I am on the Antonio Gibson hype train. I've been since July. Absolutely love him. But the truth is that McKissick has recorded 47 targets to Gibson's 26. So it's wonderful that he's a converted wide receiver. But that's not what's happening for him in 2020 right now. Yeah, I mean, the guy and I don't even blame him. He just he just kind of got a taste of the position in his final collegiate season, right? Like he's learning this on the fly. So it's not, you know, it's uh, he's not even really off schedule in terms of developing into a into a full workload running back, which surely he can be one day. But to expect him to pass protect in the NFL right now behind a terrible offensive line with a quarterback who cannot be hit, right, is it's just it's a little bit too much. So I'm not going to be surprised if we continue to see snap counts like McKissick, you know, 75 percent, Gibson, 35 percent. And sometimes they're on the field simultaneously, but it's rare. Talk about Detroit really quickly because Kenny Galladay didn't practice on Wednesday. I think it's likely he will not take the field on Sunday. So that could mean another Marvin Jones game. I am still, though, going to back away from that because when I look at this opposing defense of Washington's, first of all, as we saw when Kenny Galladay missed time at the top of the season, this offense just doesn't lift. Matt Stafford struggles without Kenny Galladay in the lineup. And so when I also then look at the matchup, not just Chase Young in the D-line, right? But like the way to beat, and the Giants showed us this, the way to beat Washington is not on the outsides, it's through the middle, which means it's a good opportunity for Hawkinson, who I would prioritize well ahead of like Jones. Yeah, I am. Um, I actually just traded for for TJ Hawkinson, like in a, in a 
all in, pushed the chips in, um, made a made a big deal in in uh, a league that I share with our mutual friend Chris Harris. And Hawkinson, of course, immediately missed practice on uh, on Thursday with a toe injury. So hopefully he's hopefully he's good to go. Like hopefully we see him return to practice on Friday and he's good to go. That's a huge worry. But Hawkinson would be a spectacular start here because Washington has, I think it's the fifth uh, or sixth most fantasy points allowed to opposing tight ends. Hawkinson has been on a roll. He's like he's finding the end zone more often than not. That guy, as long as he can just stay healthy and and find the the finish line this season is going to finish as a top five fantasy tight end some of it is just attrition right some of it is just kid allowed and all the all the disappointments at tight end and all the the injuries we've seen along the way with Ertz and whatnot but like he's finding the end zone consistently so I I think a healthy Hawkinson is no question the most reliable aspect of this receiving core is there a scenario in which Hawkinson doesn't let's say take the field and you feel at all compelled to maybe start Danny Amendola Oh, sure. Um, I mean, deep, this is deep league action, right? This is not something sure, that you course. do in your, in your 10 team league or whatever the format most commonly played. But if you're playing with, you know, whole lot of flex spots and 12 or more teams, I think Danny Amendola is super interesting. I thought double digit targets last week, I want to say heavily involved. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're going to work the middle of the field if you're Detroit with Amendola for sure. We wanted to say thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. It's the late games, and this one is the most exciting. We've got Justin Herbert and Tua Tungavailoa facing off when the Chargers travel to Miami. How are you feeling about it, Andy? Oh, I feel really good about it. I feel, by the way, I feel really good that there's like a, there's a bunch of fun late games this week. There's a, there's nice balance between the early games and the late games this week. We're not going to get stuck watching some messy NFC East, you know, late game that nobody really wants to have their eyeballs on. Um, This game is, this game is super fun. Tua was, Tua was, was fantastic last week. Um, It was really good to see because that, we, you know, something we've talked about a, a few times on the on the pod, like it was hard to get a read on that first performance because it was just such weird game flow for Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, they scored on defense. They scored on special teams. There were a bunch of drop passes like you couldn't take away anything from Tua other than he, he did what he needed to do to win. He was great last week. A couple of maybe head scratching throws, but be, but like the wow plays were seriously impressive. And you saw his ability to scramble. He was he was I, I thought it was really a joy to watch. Like that was really fun that the the bummer uh of course is that preston williams um gets carted off the field like his receiving core is getting pretty thin they had they had traded uh, isaiah ford um so it's we're pretty much down to Devonte parker gasecki and you know a pretty scrubby collection of receivers but to himself super fun he also it's worth mentioning that the chargers defense might be without joey bosa because he's still yeah. in the concussion protocol like the chargers defense uh has underperformed on balance they've had a lot of injuries etc but Bosa is obviously one of those game changers and if Tua as excellent as he was last week isn't feeling the pressure from Bosa then he has an opportunity to be that much more explosive and electric in this one I I think the Yahoo consensus ranking on these two quarterbacks is Tua at about 
quarterback 14, so just outside of starting range if you're in a 12-team league, and then Justin Herbert, who we've seen more from, right, so we feel a little bit more comfortable with, is like a top six option. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much you, I don't know how much more anybody needs to see from Justin Herbert. He's, He's like 15 touchdowns over his last five games. Every every week he makes a couple throws that that just do not seem like rookie throws. Obviously, he's got Keenan Allen to throw to. He's got Mike Williams to throw like you love the weapons. He does not look like a rookie in in absolutely any way. He's an incredibly strong star. Like I, I was just looking through some some more advanced data on on Herbert today. He's averaging five point nine yards after catch per completion, which is which is right there with Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. Like that's who he trails. Um, he's he's like just about at the top of the league. Um, so he's he's just been phenomenally impressive. I mean, you're you're starting Herbert every week from here on out, like regardless of matchup in my book. As definitive as we are about these quarterbacks and after having discussed the wide receiving (laughs) cores, uh, their backfields are much more confusing. So let's start with um, the Dolphins backfield here. Lynn Bowden is off the COVID list. Um, So their current running backs include Jordan Howard. We know what's up with that. Matt Burita, Salvin Ahmed, Patrick Laird, and Lynn Bowden. I don't understand a situation where you have to do this, but if you have to do this, I don't know, Andy, like, is the assumption Brita, even though we're worried about maybe a hamstring re-injury? Yeah, Brita is the only one that I would want to play. Um, if yeah. if Brita can go here, um, I think it adds a lot of clarity to the backfield. I think they would give him something pretty close to the workload that Gaskin was was seeing. And, and if he can't go then it's just going to be a, a rogues gallery with Jordan Howard, maybe at the goal line. But I, you know, if Brita can go, that's the guy you want. He's the, he's the one player here who I could legitimately see getting 15, 18 touches, something like that. It will be interesting to see if there is a load management approach taken with Brita, because obviously Kyle Shanahan employed that. And then it wasn't factored into Brita's like total total carry count. And then he ended up with the hamstring injury. And we know he has, and we know that soft tissue issues, especially for speed guys, ain't great and have yeah. a high level of re-aggravation. So it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I hear you and I think uh, I agree. Right. But there could be a situation where like he's limited to 15 carries. And that's it. Yeah. Which is I, not I mean, this I, one, but I don't, I don't think you can view him as anything more than, than a, like a flex worthy sort of fantasy back in a deeper league. But he, he is the only one that I'm even remotely interested in. All right. Then let's talk about the Chargers backfield. Troy Main Pope is back at practice. Justin Jackson has not been practicing this week. So it looks like you're going to get Pope, Josh Kelly, and Kalen Balaj for the trio on Sunday. The matchup versus the Dolphins, though, pretty good if we can figure out which one of these guys to use. Yeah, Miami is 29th in run defense, DVOA. Um, they've, they've been pretty good against the pass, but but just absolutely terrible against the run. So, it, like, can can Balaj do it a second time? Um, he looked he looked pretty good. Found the end zone. Um, I think they gave him 15 carries in that one. So, I I guess he's the favorite. They seem it's to a have... revenge situation here. Oh for him gosh, I, I almost I almost blew the revenge narrative for for <laughs> Kalen Balaj for sure. Um, so I like that's where I'd lean. He's who I've ranked the highest. Obviously, they they I don't know that Josh Kelly is totally left the circle of trust, right? But they are they're clearly not running him as the as the number one right now. Denver at Las Vegas. Oh, can we please pour one out for Albert O, though I will not miss trying to say his multisyllabic last name. Uh torn ACL, done for the season. That was 
very much Locke's security blanket. We talked a lot of times about his history with Albert O. In college, they were teammates at Mizzou together, um, particularly like in red zone situations. And I think this offense, like Drew Locke, by the way, I'm here for Swaggy Drew two weeks in a row. I would prefer if Swaggy didn't show up like in the fourth quarter. That'd be nice. So I wasn't (laughs) sweating the whole time. Uh, But he's there for the drama, right? He's there for the celebration. Jerry Judy had himself a game last week, but now he's got a shoulder injury. He's not practicing on Wednesday. We know that uh, Tim Patrick has been dealing with injuries off and on for the past couple of weeks. Noah Fant, we assume is healthy. He would be, you know, obviously Judy and Fant are the number two or the top two options among the pass catchers in Denver. But as I mentioned, Judy shoulder, right? And then Noah Fant, we're just going to assume, we're just not going to mention that he re-aggravated that ankle injury in game. And now there's no Albert O. I have a bold prediction about another rookie receiver on the Broncos roster, but I'm going to wait to save that. Okay. Okay. I think I know who that is, so I won't mention him. Yeah. Um, it's a, like, it's a really fun receiving core and we have to, I think we have to almost assume at this point that Noah Fan is just not going to be healthy the rest of the season. Cause I don't remember the last time that I've watched the, any length of a Broncos game and Noah Fan hasn't been limping around and asking to come off the field. Like, and he's, he's playing through it. Um, totally to his credit. I, I thought he was going to check out after that 32-yard catch uh, last week, and he did not. He returned to the game. That was a good sign. Seems to me like Judy's going to be able to go. I mean, Tim Patrick's coming off a nine-target game. Tim Patrick's been great all year. I fully agree with you on Drew Locke. You you know that I had Drew Locke going in a number of spots last week, had him in DFS lineups. We have to reach a point where he doesn't have to be behind by three scores before he starts playing, right? Like that's where we were. Um, we, yeah. Like we need all of, all of his good work happened in the fourth quarter last week. And it like, it would be nice to get out of that habit. I don't know if it'll happen. Maybe it's part of the charm of Drew Locke, but, uh, but the numbers were there in the end. That's all we needed. That's a fair point. Let's talk about uh, Derek Carr and the Raiders. How much would we love to see him get, Henry Ruggs going like this has got to start to turn over eventually. I guess and it we've does. Seen, um, we've seen almost touchdowns, right? Like like yeah. that wind game a couple of weeks ago. Like he should have had a touchdown. And I feel like AJ Bouye, the number one corner for Denver, still in concussion protocol. We don't know if he's going to start on Sunday. I think that Carr is going to have to throw a decent amount in this one. And my hope is that if there is no Bouye. We all know about Henry Ruggs, right? It's the speed. It's not a high-volume play. It's a high-value play. And so I think, you know, you're, you're, you're no, you know he's going to catch three balls. Is it three, four, 76 and a touch is the question. Yeah, and that's obviously always in play here. Uh, he and Nelson Aguilar have had a lot of, so far all of the touchdowns basically are going to Aguilar. And, and Aguilar is having roughly the season that I would have forecast for Henry Ruggs, right? Like Aguilar is not missing any of these deep shots. So they have they have two guys, both with with excellent speed that they can take these deep shots with. And that's clearly going to remain part of the offense. If you could merge them into one player and that, and that one right. guy was getting these six or seven targets per game, like that would be awesome. We can't. Um, but the, like the targets are still there for Ruggs. I really thought after after just their first game of the season, they they had Ruggs involved early and often. I thought they were going to do some really fun, you know, manufactured touches for him, do some of this fun Curtis Samuel stuff with him. Just hasn't really been there yet. Um, they're they're pretty much using him as a as a vertical threat of late. Like and and you're right at at four targets a game, you can't think of him as a reliable fantasy asset. You've got to think of him more as 
deep league, somebody I'm going to flex. And I know that in like the two weeks that he goes off, I'm probably going to win because they're going to be, you know, those those vintage Deshaun Jackson sort of lines. Right. It's going to be three catches, 110 yards. It's going to score a touchdown, maybe two. But every other week, it's going to be two catches for 31 yards. Next up, we have Buffalo traveling to Arizona. Uh, So Josh Allen feeling pretty good coming out of that Seattle game. Monster game. Scott and I talked about on Sunday night after the slate, the week nine uh, slate, obviously not including Sunday night, Monday night, um, that Brian Dable used this opportunity against Seattle and their defense to re-bolster Allen's confidence in his arm to get it back. It seems to work. He obviously wants to build on that momentum. And the Cardinals' defense is interesting, but they also gave up nearly 250 passing yards and two touchdowns to a rookie, albeit Tua, last week. Yeah, I don't think it's a, obviously it's not a bad spot for Allen. It was good to, good to see him finally have a game that that was sort of in line with what he was doing the first four weeks of the season, right? It was like September Josh Allen all over again, albeit against the most generous pass defense in the NFL. But but still, we know we have a good, sh- I mean, this is just gonna be a really fun game. We have, we have two quarterbacks who are probably both gonna run for touchdowns because it happens more often than not. That's gonna be really fun. It was good to see, one great thing that was, uh, I thought really fun about Buffalo's attack last week is that they, they constantly threw the ball on first down. I think their first 21 first downs of the game they threw the ball like they did. And Pete Carroll talked about it afterwards, being prepared for Buffalo's running game. And he barely saw it. Right. Like it was it was hardly part of it. Zach Moss, by the way, was most of it, um, which was exciting to see. Um, but, yeah, it was, a, it was a great week for Allen. I expect him to have another really good week here. Who do you think of these two quarterbacks? I should also mention, by the way, that this game has the highest over under of the week. Bet MGM has the uh, current over under set at 56 and a half. So we're expecting carnival appeal for this one. Who do you think manages total the most total yards passing and rushing Kyler Murray or Josh Allen? Well, I mean, Josh Allen's appeal as a rusher is mostly that they I mean, they have a lot of designed runs for him when they get in goal to go situations. But Kyler Murray is the guy who's like he can run for 80, 100 yards like the rushing yards are all with Murray. Yeah, like he just (laughs) ran for 100 yards. Allen doesn't break off like rookie year. Josh Allen was breaking off like, you know, 40 and 50 yard runs. And then I feel like that was mostly accounted for. And we don't see as much of that from Josh Allen at this stage. So I, I would lean pretty heavily toward Murray here. I mean, I think they both can put up respectable passing totals. And then, you know, Murray, like it would not surprise, should not surprise anyone if Murray runs for 90, 100, 110 yards. I actually think I have him projected uh, to run for, it's a pretty low projection, just 42 rushing yards, but also a rushing touchdown. I have him passing for nearly 330 though. I also have in my, I, I was on quarterbacks for Fearless Forecast this week and I have Kyler Murray out producing in terms of total yards, Josh Allen as well. Uh, let's talk about, we need to talk about uh, the Cardinals backfield really quickly <laughs> because the Chase Edmonds game was actually, and this was something that Scott said, the Kenyon Drake game. We did not get, we got Kenyon Drake. His name was just Chase Edmonds. We sure did. (laughs) Last week. And now it does look like that Kenyon Drake is going to be back. He has put in um, limited practices both on Wednesday and Thursday. So it seems the the official word is day to day, but it seems trending towards playing on Sunday. Yeah, that's a that's a bummer. It's a it's just hugely disappointing. I I was there for the Chase Edmonds breakout game that didn't mm-hmm. happen, right? I mean, it was a great matchup too against Miami. So you can put it all on him. Um, he's still like even with Kenyon Drake back, 
I think he was the second or third most heavily targeted player on the team. I, I imagine that Kirk has probably passed him now, but I was looking at it a couple of weeks ago. He's seen a ton of targets. He's involved as a receiver. They like to have him on the field in some goal line packages as well. It's not like it's not like Chase Edmonds is completely out of the picture when they get in the red zone. So like he's still playable as a flex, but it was an absolutely disappointing performance. The Shanahanigans. How do I say it? Shana Shanahanigans. Shanahanigans. Shana- you did it. Shanahanigans. Yes, thank you. Shanahanigans. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> I said this to someone. I remember who I always think whenever I try to say this, I have a visual cue of um, Carol Burnett in Annie. Shanahanigans. <laughs> 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 Anyway, sorry for the ref that's not at all current. And uh, so the Shanahanigans continue with McKinnon and Tevin Coleman probably back. Hasty, like not being the thing that we thought he was going to be when we thought he was going to be. And so I don't know what to do with this backfield. As someone who has McKinnon in a couple of spots, I've personally found it incredibly frustrating because of you know the tired legs but then they I guess they weren't so tired after all (laughs) (laughs) yeah like McKinnon's the one that I would that I would start if I had to I wouldn't feel great about it obviously we're going to be kept guessing I mean I like I'm still I'm still just flattened by the by the week that Jeff Wilson came out of nowhere just like came off the injured list and and had one of the best rushing performances of the year so it's it's an absolute guessing game McKinnon is the guy that I would feel best about it's a bad matchup. I mean, like usually San Francisco is able to overcome bad matchups, but New Orleans um, only allows three and a half yards per carry. They're the league's number two run defense. So it's a it's a tough spot. And if you have any sort of viable option, I would I would veer that direction instead of McKinnon. The 49ers obviously getting healthier, but they're still not back to 100 percent. We're going to talk about the quarterback because you're not starting. You're not dealing with that anyway. But you probably at one point rostered Debo Samuel, but he's again not seeming likely on Sunday. There's a small chance, but I I wouldn't count on it. I'd have options, um, alternative options ready to go. Yeah, Brandon Ayuk is the is clearly the most interesting uh, uh, aspect of that. Like they were they were running on fumes, obviously, a week ago. Ayuk is the is the guy that you want. And then we think that Jordan Reed is probably going to we're, we're going to see more snaps out of him, more involvement out of him. He obviously gets, you know, that Kittle workload. He's not exactly George Kittle, but he's going to be the primary receiving tight end for that team. So uh, Ayuk and Reed are both playable. Ayuk is $21, by the way, in our daily game. And Jordan Reed is only 14. So both pretty good values, assuming that Debo um, obviously doesn't feel this, see the field. Um, from the Saints side of things, you know, there's reports that Drew Brees has a bit of a shoulder injury, though it didn't seem to bother him last week on the road. And I'm sure it's not going to bother him this week in his damn dome. Yeah. And like, how would how would we even know? He Like he doesn't push the ball down the field at all this year. Anyway. Like like doesn't happen. Um, he is not just last in the in the league in intended air yards per target. He's last in the league by like almost a full yard per target. It's like five and a half. So the, the ball is just not going downfield. It would be it would be great to see. He had in that in that Bears game a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he had a few throws that just came out of his hand. I don't I don't know if it was weather conditions. I don't know if it was phantom pressure. I don't know what it was, but they but just scudded in front of receivers. So hasn't been great. Um, he's not pushing the ball down the field ever. And it's hardly mattered. He's, he's still averaging 265 passing yards per week. Like where he targets these guys doesn't matter because it's Alvin Kamara. Um, it's, you know, Michael Thomas is back and healthier all the time. So he's got like he's got great targets here 
And it hasn't really affected his fantasy performance. He's not vintage Drew Brees, obviously, but he's been entirely playable even in this even in this weird offense in which the ball almost never travels downfield. Michael Thomas, you mentioned getting healthier. He played about just over 50 percent of the team snaps, so not fully back last week five catches for 51 yards. It's interesting because Carlton Davis has kind of given him a trouble, given him trouble uh, a couple of times. Uh, the the Tampa Bay cornerback that I mentioned earlier, but you have to expect that Thomas is going to be worked more fully this week. And everyone I'm pretty sure has him ranked within the top eight, nine at the position. Yeah. I can't really imagine sitting him. Um, I did, I did have a guy ask me a Twitter question maybe an hour ago and he needed to start two receivers from like Devonte Adams, Allen Robinson, Michael Thomas. I mean, it had to be like a six team or an eight team league. And that was a situation where I actually sat Thomas, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sit Thomas in, in very many setups. I mean, I think he's still a solidly top 10 receiver. They have kind of nursed him through the practice week a little bit. So he's, he's clearly not fully healthy. Um, you, you mentioned the snaps last week, so he's clearly not like 100% fully operational Michael Thomas, which is the only thing that keeps him from being a top three receiver for me. I also want to say Jared Cook, his potential now is starting to wane a little bit, not just because he only caught two balls for like 30 yards, but he had been on like what, a, a I think a three game hot streak scoring every single week. And I believe he had four, he had scored in four of his last five previous to last week. But when I start seeing like Josh Hill and Adam yeah. Troutman, being featured. And I know that Thomas and Sanders are back. Like now I start to creep away from Cook as not that you're ever wanting to start any of your tight ends outside of Travis Kelsey, like on a weekly basis, but Cook was being consistent, right? There was, there was yeah. some, a nice floor there, which at a position that doesn't have much floor appealing. And so now I'm not as interested in Cook in, you know, that tight end eight range anymore. Oh, I, I totally agree with that. He may still finish as a top 10 fantasy tight end because, you know, he's banked all those touchdowns from earlier in the season. But with with Thomas and Sanders back, that that changes the math for him a lot. Andy, you threw some shade at DJ Dallas and you were like, I don't think he's a good player. <laughs> but his situation was hot and that's why he produced. And then I think maybe Pete Carroll, who I've interviewed before, uh, listens to the podcast because he was like, that Andy Barons, he is right. <laughs> DJ Dallas is not a thing. His snap share went from 79% to 31% between weeks eight to nine. Chris Carson is still missing practice. Carlos Hyde is still missing practice. Homer, however, Travis Homer is a little bit healthier. And the Seahawks have are traveling uh, not too far, which is good for them because last week it looked like maybe the cross-country travel didn't suit Russell Wilson. Uh, yeah. they're, they're traveling to Los Angeles, where I live, uh, to take on the Rams, who have been, you know, hit or miss against the run. I'm still holding out hope for for Chris Carson here. Uh, hopefully that can happen. Yeah, the, the issue with Dallas, and we discussed it before, um, if you're making mistakes that result in Russell Wilson getting hit, like you you can't play. You, you can't play because because Russell Wilson is way more important in this thing than you are. Um, and like he, he had a nice fantasy performance. You know, he's he's found the end zone a couple times. Like when everything like I still hold out hope for him as a player long term. Um, it just he had the look of, of somebody for whom everything is happening just a little bit too fast. I think that that is a, a fair use of rookie. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. When we think about what Josh Allen did to the Seahawks last week, and we think about like how damn boring Jared Goff has been. <laughs> I mean, also like 
forget Jared Goff is a player who I'm sure we all watch hard knocks, but like, I feel like I have a little more exposure to him just because he's on the local news and stuff. He is a player whose personality on the field and off the field is the same. He is boring AF when he's talking about the golf course that he built in his backyard. Like, oh, a boring sport that you're into. I'm so surprised. Like, it couldn't even be interesting. Like, you couldn't even be like, I'm into foosball. Like, that's boring, but like interesting boring. Oh, Liz, I love you for trashing golf during Masters Week. That's so... (laughs) It just ruins my Twitter feed once a year. Like, I'm... Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Please go on. Our, Our boss, Jason, is super... I mean... We better, you better have that that end of the year report in because bro's going to be, <laughs> don't you mess with Kabaka's tea time. He told us all. He was like, um, I'm going to be on the golf course Friday, so get your stuff in because I'm not answering my phone. I handed my hand on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, let's get back to Jared Goff. He is averaging 35 and a half pass attempts per game, but fewer than 267 yards per game. I think that he is going to be buoyed coming out of a bye by this matchup. And I think it's likely that he could, I, I, I can't quite see him maybe passing for 300. Like it is very difficult even uh, with just the focus that they, that Sean McVay wants to put on the run. Like maybe he'll yeah. get close to 300 yards. If I'm setting it over under 300 yards, I don't have the confidence even with the, even with the matchup to say over 300, but he can get close enough to it. I mean, virtually everybody does against Seattle. Allen just went yeah. over 400 yards. They give up 362 per game. Um, it has just been an obviously a, a horrendous pass defense. There's they give up the most fantasy points to opposing quarterbacks to opposing wide receivers. Uh, again, like the the stat that has persisted all year, they um, they they've allowed over. 300 more receiving yards to wideouts than any other team. Like, it's just not even close, the yardage that they're giving up to receivers. So it's a great spot for Cup. It's a great spot for Woods. It, it's really hard to screw this matchup up. Nobody's done it. So, I, like, even even as you talk about Jared Goff, like, it reminds me of the tenor of pretty much every Twitter question that I've taken about him. It's it's all people mm-hmm. who don't want to start. Like, nobody wants to start, you know, Goff bot 3000 or, you know, he's, he's such a, <laughs> he's just so, like, I get it. He's he's dull. He's, you know, McVeigh is in his head the entire time. It's weird. Um, but he's like, he's going to throw for 300 yards here. Almost everybody does. I, I don't, I don't, I haven't projected for 288. I know I like, by the way, <laughs> if you're, if you're watching my fearless workouts, I tend to project conservatively so that people don't get their hopes up. Like that is just my personal philosophy. Not every, I know you, Andy lets it rip sometimes. He's just like, I don't know, 380. I've, I've watched yours and I appreciate it, but I always tend to just lean to the cor- conservative side so that people don't put all of their chips onto one player that I'm forecasting. Yeah, um, if I, if I like a guy, I'll give him multiple touchdowns. Like, I'll go all in. And obviously, if a, if a player wants to pay me to improve their forecast, I'm totally willing to take that payola, too. Listen to that. Uh, Andy Barron's available on Cameo. We'll uh, have to, <laughs> to drop that. But we should talk about the Rams' backfield because the Rams, even in, you know, I know they're playing Seattle, obviously, but uh, the Rams have logged the fifth most rushing attempts. So obviously this run game is very different than it was in previous years. And you had Gerald Henderson, who was leading the pack with a little bit of Malcolm Brown sprinkled in just in, just enough, right? Um, 
And then he was hurt ahead of the team's bye. So there's a lot of questions. I'm seeing a lot of, I'm, I'm getting a lot of questions about like, is there going to be a shakeup over the bye? What's going to happen? Is Daryl Henderson healthy? He he did practice. He's dealing with the quad issue, but he did practice on Thursday. He is going to play on week 10. Are you yep. pausing for a moment, assuming that out of nowhere, Cam Akers is going to be more involved? No, um, I think a lot of the questions about the Rams backfield are really just sort of like residual optimism, hopefulness, um, like fading hopes for for Cam Akers because you drafted Cam Akers wherever you did, fifth round, sixth round, like whatever. Those picks can bust and you can still win a league. It's fine. But that's that's pretty clearly a busted pick at this point. I mean, I, I don't I don't even know that Cam Akers would be the next man up if if Henderson were to miss time. He's clearly not going to miss time here because he practiced on Thursday. Right. Like they'd, they'd lean pretty mm-hmm. hard on Brown for me. I mean, obviously, unless it's a dynasty league or it's an insanely deep league, deep benches, um, Akers can be comfortably dropped in leagues of, of normal size. So Henderson is going to see the field. We're not sure, however, if Joe Mixon as part of the Cincinnati Bengals who are traveling to Pittsburgh, will be on the field. This could be another Gio Bernard moment. However, the Pittsburgh run defense, pretty dang stout. I will say that, you know, Gio's ability in the passing game could be, I don't like the fit, but I I don't, if I have to play somebody and I'm desperate, like I like that he can catch out of the backfield and be lined up as a receiver. And maybe there's a couple of quick starts, quick strikes here for Joe Burrow. So you know, I, I'm not going to flush Geo down the toilet. I don't know why I'm using that as an analogy. I'm not going to flush Geo if uh, if Mixon can't go. Yeah, I, these are the these are the most difficult rankings decisions too because um, it's a it's a brutal matchup. Pittsburgh is ninth against the run, and it re- really that's skewed. Like Pittsburgh's great against the run, except Baltimore got them, and other than that, they've been they've been terrific. It's a really tough spot for Geo, but. There is the possibility here because he's so involved as a receiver that he's going to see, you know, 18, 20, 21 touches, something like that. And it's it's really hard to have a bad day and finish outside the top, you know, 15, 20. If you're if you're getting that kind of workload in in like today's NFL, right, there's just not that many guys who are coming into 20 touches. So we have to take him seriously for that reason. There's like. I would put his his potential of having some sort of blow up like he's not probably not gonna have a two touchdown game against Pittsburgh. They're they're um, you know, they're they're too difficult to match up for that. Agreed. So we talked about Joe Mixon. We should also, you know, I, I wanted to segue running back to running back. But obviously the biggest story in this matchup is Ben Roethlisberger's availability because he sat next to Vance McDonald on the plane home from Dallas and McDonald tested. By the way, I love that. I, I would imagine that he was sitting next to Eric Ebron. I was kind of surprised that it was McDonald for what it's worth. But McDonald tested positive for COVID. So Ben is now on the COVID list as a precaution. If he tests negative on Saturday, then he'll be in for the game. Yeah. So this is the this is basically the Matt Stafford situation from last week. And we're just we're just hanging until the until the weekend to find out that uh, he's OK. All of my ranks right now reflect the idea that Ben Roethlisberger is going to be healthy for this one, by the way, because I, you know, I have all the I have all Same. the Pittsburgh receivers ranked as as pretty solid wide receiver twos. And that obviously all falls apart like like a uh, house of cards if uh, if it can't be him, because the step down from him to what you do know, you think about Joe Burrow in this matchup? I mean, there was some, you know, T Higgins was a little little bit banged up. AJ Green was a little bit banged up. They're still going to both play. We know that the the Tyler Boyd has been one of the most solid floor players. The thing that that when we're talking about difficult rankings and you talked about that with Gio Bernard and volume, the thing that I love about Joe Burrow 
in Cincinnati is the extent to which he is being encouraged to throw the ball and just find himself, right? Like the expect, they, nobody, nobody expects the Bengals to make it to the postseason, And so yeah. I feel like Zach Taylor's using this as an opportunity to experiment with what he has and giving Burrow that freedom. And I don't think, and that is kind of how you end up beating Pittsburgh is you just keep throwing on them and trying to take advantage of the secondary. Yeah, I, I think there's a non-trivial chance that Burrow throws the ball 50 times in this game. Like, that's totally out there. Like, Pittsburgh could run. I mean, Pittsburgh also has, as we just saw from the Steelers, they they have a habit of occasionally playing down to an opponent. So maybe this game is close throughout, or maybe P- Pittsburgh gets out to an early lead, and then it just becomes, you, you know, the the like the Browns game that we saw earlier in the season where Burrow just, like, it's he's dropping back on absolutely every snap, and he finishes with 50, 60 pass attempts. Like, that's that's in play. That's definitely a possibility. He is facing the defense that, that leads the league in sacks and is tied for the league lead in interceptions, so they're obviously very opportunistic. They're very aggressive. Um, it's Cincinnati does not have the league's best offensive line, so... I hope Joe Burrow walks away from this game okay, right? Like, he's going to get hit. He's going to get hit here uh, if he's if, if the plan is for him to throw the ball 45-plus times. But uh, but I think he may also, if that happens. Yeah, he's got a good shot at 300 yards to make if mis- that happens. Uh, uh, that, that's, I guess, where I was getting to. I mean, he's going to make mistakes, right? Like, when we're talking about experimenting yeah. and finding yourself, like, the mistakes are what get you to the next level of confidence and skill. And so I'm not in a position where I'm going to, I don't have a lot of exposure to Burrow. I just don't think that when you look at the amount that he's being encouraged, you can automatically say like, oh, I'm not, I'm not touching him, right? Like if you have him, maybe you use some roster construction. He's not my favorite play for the week by any means. I, I don't think he's, I don't have him in my top 15, but I guess from a real football perspective, I'm very interested to see how he, how he handles this matchup and the brutality that is implied within it. Yeah, I, I think it's a great point. It's the it's right now, maybe the best thing about Joe Burrow for fantasy purposes is that they are just not going to hide him. They are absolutely not going to hide him. He like, like if they they decide the best way to compete in this game is for for them to throw the ball 50 times. It is definitely happening. Baltimore at New England is the Sunday night game. So last week, Lamar complained about opposing defenses being able to call out the Ravens plays in advance. That doesn't seem like um, a great thing when he's going to face Bill Belichick, even if this is like the 2020 version of the Patriots. Yeah, that's bad. Um, It's like Lamar is so close (laughs) to having... Lamar is so close to having not not the season that he was having last year. But I, again, I feel like I, I sort of beat the drum on this. They've they've just nearly missed uh, just like barely missed a couple of a couple of huge splash plays earlier in the year. And his numbers could look so different. Obviously, Kyler Murray is having the year that you had hoped Lamar Jackson would have. Right. Like he's mm-hmm. the guy who's running in touchdowns every week and all that. But this is like it's not a bad spot for him. I mean, I feel like too many people still think of New England as this absolute stay away matchup. But uh, like New England on the season, given up four and a half yards per carry, they're given up almost nine yards per pass attempt. So this has actually been like a super friendly matchup so far. So it is it is actually a, a bit of a get right spot for Lamar Jackson, in my view. I, I hope you're right. When I was like reviewing his stats heading into the week, I was surprised to find that he's, you mentioned his receivers and how many almost opportunities they had, almost connections. Yeah. Right now, his receivers are dropping 
6.6% of the balls that are sent their way, which is among the bottom 25% for that statistical category. And Lamar is logging a bad play percentage of 21.6, which is above the midline for starting quarterbacks. And so, you know, much has been made. Everybody knew that there was going to be a passing touchdown regression from last year. I don't think that's a surprise, but I do think that the lack of ability, it's still not clicking. This passing game just still isn't clicking. And then it's weird that Des Bryant is added into the mix, which feels a little bit, it feels a little desperate. It it feels like there's a a hand being shown and that doesn't set well. And even though the Patriots like are not of this year are not their defense, the same as last year, I do think that there is um, effort put into, I mean, this isn't the Jets game, right? Like there, there is, you, you saw this, I feel like there's more preparation put into a matchup like this one. And they're not the Steelers necessarily, but there certainly is um, a competitiveness that comes out when you're facing the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I would be really disappointed if I were a Ravens fan that my team, like there were clearly some receivers that were on the table at uh, at the trade deadline who who didn't move. And I would be really disappointed that my team decided like we're going to address this obviously substandard receiving core by signing the current version of Des Bryant, which is just not going to, which is just not going to help. Right. Um, yeah. I don't know. You had, you had Will Fuller out there. Um, you had like, like there were, there were trade options for you and you elected to to sign Des Bryant to the practice squad, which just isn't going to fix things. Um, I still have lo- all kinds of long-term hope for Hollywood Brown. Right. But it's, I mean, they're, he's not getting the pass volume that makes someone an every week fantasy starter right now he's complained about it um they're obviously a run first team and they're great at it they lead the league in rushing right they're they're getting 160 rushing yards per week they're great at it hasn't translated into fantasy success for any running back but you know they they do what they do still really well and mark ingram is i believe expected to keep i'm sorry mark ingram did not practice on thursday he's still dealing with that ankle injury so i think it was gus not- edwards that Gus Edwards was really talking him up as if he was going to play, though. Like my my expectation is still that there's a decent chance that uh, that we see Mark Ingram play in this one. Okay, uh, you're the only one, by the way, who hasn't ranked. I took a look and I was like, oh, do I have to rank him? And then I looked at the news and was like, no, I'm not going to, Andy. How about that? Yeah, that's one of those things where it's just easier to it's easier to take him out if I have to than it is to like go find him and, and drag him in there. Totally fair. In the Patriots backfield, Damian Harris has been limited in practice this week. Remember, he got knocked out of the second half last week with a chest injury. He is expected to play. Um, He added another new injury, which is a little bit head scratching. And I don't like the matchup, so I'm probably not going to deal with this. Yeah, and he's also we like this has been discussed at length before. Um, he, he's not somebody that they're comfortable throwing to for whatever reason. Right. So like if they, if they get a negative game script, it's, it's just definitely not a Damian Harris day. Jacoby Myers had himself a game. I wouldn't expect that this week. You have to imagine that the, the Baltimore defense is going to key in on Myers a little bit and try to focus on <laughs> and try to let Nikhil Harry, who is out of the concussion protocol. And by the way, no good, uh, lift yeah. this offense. So I don't, I don't really like that for either Harry or, um, Myers. I would like to think that Jacoby Myers is just going to finish the season as their number one receiver, like for whatever that's worth. It's not not worth a lot. It's not a great receiving core by any means. Obviously, Edelman may come back, but it's it's hard to believe that they've had this guy sort of in the building all this time. And he he's clearly in sync with Cam Newton, right? 12 catches on 14 targets, 160 plus yards like he's good. He's not you know, he's he's not Julio Jones good, but he's really good. 
Um, it just it reminded me a little bit of the, you know, like years ago, the the Miles Austin game where like Dallas has had this guy in the building for like four years and they're finally pressed into playing him and he immediately erupts with like 200 yards and then almost 200 yards the next week. And I'm not to say that Jacoby Myers is going to be that guy, but he's clearly their best receiver. Like I like Nikhil Harry is not that's that's not a thing that's going to happen this year, maybe ever. Jacoby Myers is clearly their best receiver and they should keep targeting him. How much do we love that? in the same draft class, like Calvin Harmon was the like big play guy <laughs> out of NC State. And I remember watching that tape and being like, I, because, you know, Calvin Harmon was on the list of players that were being buzzed about. So I prioritized them in my tape watching in the spring. And then, but the whole time I was like, this guy is boring AF, but this Myers kid is pretty good. He's just, yeah. you know, he, he's a, a little more crafty. And so I'm Kudos to Myers, who is, you know, managing above exceeding expectations. Monday night, Dalvin Cook, talk about expectations, super, super high at Chicago. Cook has 478 yards and six touchdowns (laughs) over the last (laughs) pair of weeks. That's just crazy. Do the Bears stop the train? Do they do they slow it? They stop Cook from cooking. We have really seen what, like, these last two games, this is exactly the way Minnesota wants to play. And it's um, maybe a little discouraging if you're connected to that passing game, right? Because Dalvin has 52 carries over these games, and um, Kirk Cousins has 34 pass attempts. Like, that's that's the dream for for Zimmer and the, the Minnesota offense. That's what they want. And, like, Cousins has been fine fantasy-wise. Like, he... The thing saving him is that um, when he throws the ball, it is downfield. Uh, I mentioned Breeze earlier, um, last in the league in intended air yards. Cousins is near the top. It's over It's over nine air yards per target. Um, he's got great receivers to do it with, too. He's just not like, again, these last two games, it's been 14 attempts and it's been 20 attempts. And that's, that's what they want to do. But, I mean, Bears are good defense. They're not. Uh, uh, some sort of like absolute top of the ranks defense, but they've been pretty good against the run. They've been pretty good against the pass. Um, There have been some moments where they will allow, you know, uh, mile wide rushing lanes to players, but I don't think that's going to happen against Dalvin because they, they know exactly what Minnesota wants to do. I don't know that they, I mean, nobody's going to shut Dalvin cook down the ways, the way he's rolling. He's obviously healthy. Um, Minnesota does this really well. Um, So I don't think they're going to shut him down, but I also don't think that he's in line for, 200 plus scrimmage yards again and multiple touchdowns again. I think I think if you're de- if you're invested in Dalvin Cook at all, you have to you have to find a way to be happy with like 110 yards and perhaps only one touchdown this week. Oh boo, cry me a <laughs> Right. But David Montgomery though, Andy. Oh. <laughs> Talk about a headache. Zing. Uh he's in David the Montgomery protocol. is bad and he has a head injury. Like I don't like wh- where do we where do we go with this? <laughs> Well, we might be going to Lamar Miller Town, my friend. Because <laughs> <laughs> he is being called up. I'm laughing, but I shouldn't be. Uh, he's no. being called up. Uh, no. he, he could be called up from the, the practice squad uh, if Monty can't go. And if Lamar Miller isn't salivating enough, we still got Corderell and Ryan Nall. Sub. <laughs> Yeah, Ryan Hall had a touchdown last week. I mean, I, I like I I hope Montgomery's fine, and it it helps a lot that he's got the extra day, right? That it's a Monday night game, so perhaps he he clears the protocol. I hope that happens. He's he's been productive enough as a receiver. He has not been an efficient running back, obviously, and this line is not is not great, um, not great at all. So they're not creating a lot of opportunities, and he's pretty clearly a running back who needs to have opportunities created for him, and he can sort of paint by numbers a little bit. But if it's not there, like he's not getting it on his own. 
paint by numbers is my favorite thing you said all episode. Where are we at on Darnell Mooney watch? Where are we at on the Mooney watch? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I- this secondary is not impossible. The Vikings have 16 sacks on the season. So if we're talking about time and protection, yeah. I'm not, I, I can't not hate it though. It like gives me hope. And Allen Robinson's not hundred percent healthy. Yeah, I like it a lot. And and Mooney has been getting, you know, he's been regularly targeted, which is a, one big thing that we need to see. And this is a very friendly secondary. I like they're they're still going to put pressure on Foles because everybody puts pressure on Foles. This this line has been terrible. I'm not even really sure how Foles finished with the line that he did last week. I mean, it was a, a fairly non-competitive 335 passing yards, couple of touchdowns. Right. But um, they are targeting Mooney and he he burns somebody like two times a game. So I have a little bit of optimism that they hit on one of those. I think he's a, I think he's a pretty fun flyer here. When you accept the job of starting quarterback for the Chicago bears, you assume pressure literally and figuratively. (laughs) That is the job. Sid Luckman, end of story. All right. We are going to look ahead to Sunday. Let's make some nutty predictions. Thanks to planters. Andy, what is your nuttiest prediction for Sunday's games? Give me Eric Ebron as a top three fantasy tight end this week. They get Cincinnati. Cincinnati on the year has allowed the most fantasy points to opposing tight ends. And they've given up touchdowns to some pretty sketchy players too, right? Like it's not just a parade of superstars that's doing this against them. It's the Colts tight ends. It's the Browns tight ends. Like everybody scores against this team. I think Eric Ebron is going to do it. I Like he might be the one guy who's who's impervious to like, even if Big Ben can't go, I think Ebron is still fine here. I think he at a minimum finishes with 60 yards and a touchdown. In fact, I'm willing to personally guarantee the touchdown this week. Oh, wow. That is nutty. I, I don't provide talk- that service oh. very often, but I'm willing to do it here. He absolutely does not. Um, I want to talk about another rookie receiver in Denver. Obviously, Jerry Judy's getting all this buzz, but hello, he's rostered in 80% of Yahoo leagues right behind him. However, is the lesser discussed KJ Hamler, who also has boom ability. He was second only to Judy in looks with 10 and yards uh, by, by a rookie overall in week nine with 75. Hamler posted a career effort last Sunday, catching six for 75 yards. And here's a little fun fact. Drew Locke particularly called out Hamler heading into last week's game, saying that he helped to keep the chemistry that they were building rolling. I think that continues to move forward in week 10. The Broncos are taking on the Raiders. That's a squad with a bottom 10 ranked pass defense. No Albert O. No offense still dealing with an ankle injury. Tim Patrick's not fully healthy. There's a 50 over under set on this game. There could be some popcorn big play opportunities. I love Hamler for a moonshot. Good call. Fully endorse it. All right. Those are some pretty nutty predictions. What can you say? We're a bit nuts. Thanks again to planters. And we remind you at home or wherever you are to stay satisfied with planters. Woo! I feel like we got through that. I feel like it was fun. I feel like we kept the energy. If you like energy and you like podcasts, then you should continue to listen to the Yahoo Sports platform of audio offerings. We've got the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler, the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That's at Andy Barons. One more thanks to Planters. The Week 10 Double Digits recap is on Monday. Talk to you then.
Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.